You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Um, you're just stuck with me. Susan and Joelle are off busy doing Under the Shield stuff. Um, so your host is me today, Tom. Um, but I have a wonderful guest, and I'm excited for everyone to meet her and hear her story. Um, you probably won't even believe it. Um, but I'll let her talk about her story, the beginning part of it. But she is a retired police officer, so keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, and she has a nonprofit. Um, she's, she's, boy, she's a busy lady. Let's just say that. So let's welcome Katrina Cook Brownlee. How are you this morning? I'm well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Uh, Katrina and I were speaking a little bit before. Uh, we started recording this, and um, she, her her story is amazing. My wife and I, we actually saw her story on 48 Hours is what it was. Uh, and we saw the original one, and then they updated it. I think it was this past April they updated it again. And we saw that, and, yeah, we – once we saw that, we were like, okay, we got to try to figure out how we can get in touch with you because your story is amazing. And it's it's tragic, but, man, it, it, it turned out amazingly beautiful. You know, I mean, what, what you're doing now, what you've done in your past is, is incredible. Thank you. So Thank you. I, I know you you grew up in the Bronx, right? In the projects? No. In Brooklyn. Brooklyn, sorry, Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was in the projects. Um, so tell us about how tough it was growing up in the projects where you lived at. Um, for me, Brooklyn during the 70s and 80s, I think was a tough time for anyone, just Brooklyn in itself. <laughs> yeah. So... Life, um, I can't really talk about that because that's so in the book. Okay, all right. Um, but what I can say is that um, my life experiences during that time is probably what gave me the strength, some of the strength to be able to push forward and to be able to... Um, feel like there's nothing that can stop me from doing what I can, what I need to do. I should say that. Okay. Yeah. That, and that makes, <clears throat> that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Cause a, a lot of, you know, as we grow up and all those life experiences that we, that we go through, they definitely shape us into who we are. That's for sure. And I can only imagine that growing up in the projects uh, at that time, um, lots of drugs, lots of violence, you name it, um, definitely shaped you in, Sculpted you into who you are, that's for sure. So what, what I recall from your story is uh, at about 22, I believe you were, um, you were with your ex-fiance at the time. Um, you had, I'm trying to remember if it was one or two kids at that time. I think you had two, two daughters at that time, right? Correct. Uh, and so you're, you move in with him, um, and you kind of are thinking that this is almost your way out of that lifestyle, right? Um, I met him when I was 18. Okay. And I had a daughter. I before, prior okay. to that, right. I'm a teenage mother. I had my first daughter when I was 14. And I met him when I was 18. And early, very early on, I got pregnant with my second daughter, which we shared together. Okay. 
and the abuse started very early on in the relationship. But because I wasn't taught certain things, I just assumed that this was the person that that really loved me. My grandmother also encouraged me to be in a relationship and that he would probably be the one to be able to get me out of the situation, circumstances in which I was living in at that particular time. Wow. And so we built a home in Long Island. All right. And the abuse continued. He was a correction officer at that time. And I, what, what was the turning point for me was I had gotten pregnant with our son. And I just said, I'm not going to bring a third child into this. Right. Um, I didn't have no way out. I did not have no exit plan. Um, I didn't have any family support. I, I just absolutely had nothing. I didn't work. He was the sole provider for the family. I had no education. I just had nothing. Right. So um, I just, I just left. Um, and what happened? I when I went, when I returned, um, I returned for clothes because I didn't have anything. Right. You, you know, what's funny is I know even before I was a police officer and even probably when I was a new officer and we would go to domestic violence calls <clears throat> and we go to repeat, you know, we go back to the same places, you know, week after week. And, you know, I know a lot of civilians out there. And even I thought at the beginning of my career, it was like, well, why doesn't this lady just leave? You know, right. and then as I became more ingrained and the more calls I went on and the more I learned about people that are in those situations, it's really not that easy. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you're usually you're isolated um, mm -hmm. and you don't have the means to just say, I'm done, I'm out. You know, you don't and, have the strength either. Yeah, I bet. Most of the time, you don't even have the strength and even if you do have some support, you're so embarrassed. Yeah. You know, you don't want to tell people that this is happening in your life so you stay and with the hopes that it would get better right with the hopes that they would change with the hopes that <laughs> go away you know so you just got so many hopes right that, and dreams you know but it it's never gonna get better it only can get worse right, right? and and that's so, you know that's that's the sad thing is you you want so badly for these people in these situations that it gets better for them but, you know, you know, unless a drastic change is made, it's probably just going to get worse. And that's the, that's the sad thing that, that we run into as, as police officers. Yeah. So. And to be able to um, be on both sides of it, um, it's painful. Right. Because you once was that person. <laughs> And now you see a person in that same situation. So it's just, it's really painful. But the thing about it is that I try to encourage people as I do speaking engagements or interviews is that if you're in that situation to have an exit plan, whatever the exit plan may be, if you got to save $5 a day, and not saying that that may save your life, right? Because eventually the person may just say, you know what, I'm just going to kill you today. Right. But have an exit plan because when you don't have an exit plan and you leave and decide to come back, that's when, to me, it becomes really tragic. Sure. And um, they even become, the abuser becomes even more angry. So have an exit plan and then execute it, but never, under no circumstances, <laughs> ever go back. It means you've got to live under a rock. It's better to live under the rock and be alive right. than to go back and lose your life. Yeah, Because exactly. it just doesn't affect you when this all happens. It affects the children. It affects yeah. your family. Um, it's just a lot of trauma and a lot of pain um, and a lot of um, regrets, a lot of mixed emotions. Mm -hmm. um, so it took me a long time to actually forgive myself mm. um 
because I just was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have left. I should have just stayed there. <laughs> like it was going to make know. it better, right? <laughs> right, right, right. It's so many different things. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, maybe if he got older, he would have just stopped. Right. You know, so yeah. I, it was so many different things that I went through myself. And I just felt like I failed as a parent. Mm. Because right. I, because, um, I, you know, and I think you even said this in your interview is that your kids didn't choose him. You right. did. Right. And so you brought them into that situation. So I can understand how you would feel like you let your kids down, you know, even though this was not any part of your fault. You know, I mean, no, of course, but you don't know it. Right. You right. Yeah. You don't know it until you get whole. Right. And when you've been told that you're a stupid mother effer and you're no good and nobody's yeah. going to ever want you and you're worthless and you're a piece of essence, when you've been called so many names, you yeah. begin to believe that. That's just like whatever right. you believe within yourself you're going to be. If you say, I'm going to be great. And if I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be the president of the United States. You Nine times out of ten, you will become that because you've told yourself that. Exactly. So whatever you plant the seed inside of you is what you become. So I become everything that he told me that I was. So how do I get out of a situation <laughs> when I'm a no good mother effer? Yeah. How do I get out of the situation when I'm a piece of crap? How do I get out of the situation when I've been told that when I believe that I'm absolutely nothing? Yeah, that's that's tough. I, you know, and it's like. I don't know which is worse, the physical abuse or the mental abuse. I think I think it's the mental. Yeah. Because everything starts with the mind. Yeah. If you've been uh, been attacked in, in that way, right? You know, physically, most of the time you can get healed. You know, physically, right? Through the time, yeah. but the mental aspect of it, right? That's a tough thing to some come. Some people can't yeah. never get healed, right? And that's how some people lose their mind because everybody's not open to God. Everybody's right. not open to therapy. Everybody's not open to share their story. Everybody's not open to be in a uh, in in a, a supporting setting. Right. That's for sure. You know, so what about those people? <laughs> yeah, they right. stay in that same situation. And, and it gets worse. Right. Yeah. It's bitter. It gets worse. It gets angry. It gets worse. And it becomes explosive. Yeah. That's what happens. So you, you formulated your exit plan and you executed it and then went to a motel like for a, almost a month or something, right? I did, but like I said, the exit plan that I put together was not the right exit plan right. because I didn't. I just had an exit plan for the for the moment, mm -hmm. for the night. It wasn't a long term, right. right? And 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 my thing is, you have to have something a little bit more long term or a little bit more um, reality. I should say hmm. it don't even have to be long term. It just have to make sense. Yeah. So for me, it just it didn't make sense because I still had to go back and yeah. get clothes and go back and get money, you know? So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell us what happened on that day that you went back. Um, I know you, you said that you, he kind of had a, a look in his, you know, different look, like he was almost like inviting and, you know, kind of just, or it so just when wasn't... I walked in the door, everything just told me it was wrong. Yeah. Everything just said, but I just wasn't able at that point to be mature enough to tap into <laughs> spirituality. Yeah. You know, your so spidey I, senses were saying, get out, run. <laughs> don't even knock on the door. Right? But yeah. I knocked on the door. Yeah, that had I, to have been hard. It, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I had so much regrets because so many things were saying, no, 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 no. And I just kept saying, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I was just so broken as, right. a, as a person. Yeah. And so when I went in, he just had a look and he closed the door and said, this is the day that you're going to die um, and calls me a bitch. And it just took off from there. And Man. he just began to shoot me um, and he shot me in my stomach. Um, and you were pregnant at the time. I was pregnant at the time. And um, I just could not believe that he had did that. It, it yeah. was just like, wow. And he began to continue to shoot me and shoot me and shoot me. And I remember, um, like I said, I, I woke up um, a couple of weeks later. 
coma, you know, from the coma. Yeah. And during that time, so many people from all over the world heard about my story and hadn't made the news because he was a correction officer at the time. Yeah. So this is not the first time this story is really being told. It's just being told in the way it which it happened, right? Right. So um flowers and balloons and teddy bears. So <laughs> many gifts that people sent me, even for the for the girls. Um but that was the first time that I really had experienced that somebody really cared. Yeah, that you you were experiencing the other side of the coin. Now, now you're getting love poured out to you, and you know, people are you know encouraging you and you know to to fight through it and be strong and you can you know you can get through all this stuff and what a what a change of the tables from what you had just experienced. Yeah, it was a change of the tables, and um, in in my my memoir, I, I get into details yeah. about actually how it all played out, um, and certain things that was that he was saying to me doing it. It was it it was more like a whole movie scene. Yeah, so. it, it, <laughs> it wasn't like this. Like he just shot you ten times, and then you ended up at the hospital. It, it actually occurred over some a period of time too yeah so it, it was pure torture yeah it was pure torture and i, I and i and i tell that yeah. i tell the story in the memoir yeah. and i tell the story of um how i was able to get to the hospital so it's a whole lot of other missing pieces to it and right. that's why i encourage people to um when the book is released to to i encourage people to read the book yeah and to just be able to get take you know for their own life right to be able to see the signs and the red flags of people so um, I, I think we should touch on one thing um real quick uh, about your story and, and and what it is is that when before all this event occurred and before you had left and everything that when he was abusing you uh you would call the police and the police would show up and they would either tell you guys to work it out and leave or um him being a correctional officer would show his badge and then you kind of were hit right in the face with the blue wall of silence right 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 and and yeah couple of times and I was just told that one time the officer just walked literally walked away and yeah. then the second time he was like you you guys need to work you need to work it out and that's and I'm like, so <laughs> how do you expect to, me to do that yeah right. so if you don't even have the protection of the, the law yeah where else are you going where yeah you going? That, so that's why and I also encourage police officers do the right thing. Yeah. You don't have no idea when you do the right thing, you could be saving somebody's life. Exactly. Your job is to protect and serve. You know, and and like when I was an officer, my philosophy was I I want to do the best of my ability to treat people like I would want my family to be treated. Mm-hmm. If it was somebody from my family and they were calling the police to whatever the situation was, I should treat that person how I expected someone to treat one of my sisters, you know, if that's the case. Um, and that obviously didn't happen for you um, because your situation just continued to get worse. Um, yeah. But that was also, you know, as as things changed in your life, that also became a driving force for you. Um, so, and, and we'll talk about that. Um so you're shot multiple times. You have multiple surgeries. You're in a coma. In fact, you still probably have some of the bullets in you to this day, right? Six bullets. Yeah, which is crazy that it's safer to leave them in your body than to take them out. Um, but so you, how long were you in the coma for? Do you know? Um, a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so... When you come out of that coma, that's got to be quite an experience for you trying to figure out where you're at, what's going on, how things are changing, and 
Now what do you, what do you do because you're homeless? <laughs> yeah. So um, the homeless experience was um, very new to me. Um, it was wow. Like I am literally homeless, hungry, broken, shot up, <laughs> children. Right. Lost my baby. It would, it, it just was, it was just, I hadn't, I, I just did, I, I really didn't know what, what else to do, but that's where God came in at. Yeah. And I was introduced to God and to come to a church. And so for me, um, I wouldn't have been able to do this without him, you mm -hmm. know, to be hungry and to be homeless. And this is why to this day, I have my charities. I'm the Katrina Cook Brownlee charity. And I, I begin my organization, Young Ladies of Our Future, because I know what it looks like to be hungry on the holidays. I know what it <laughs> looks like, you yeah. know, to just be hungry in itself, right? Cheese, stale cheese sandwiches and happen to bathe my daughters in a sink in McDonald's because the homeless shelter was so filthy and in the showers they would um you know poop in the showers urinate yeah. in the showers so i was just trying to hold on to whatever dignity i had left yeah um it was just a tough tough experience and i just pray that nobody else ever have to experience that something like this so yeah that well and then plus when when you're coming out of the hospital you're also told that you may never walk again, right? So you've got those physical ailments that you're trying to overcome along mm -hmm. with, you know, just the craziness that now your your world is turned upside down. You've got nowhere to go. You still got I two kids. Walk. Yeah, <laughs> you can't it. walk. I what the heck do you do? <laughs> like, it's like, all I kept saying is 22 years. <laughs> And this is all I get. Yeah. Feels what like you've been I robbed, huh? No, I was beyond that. Yeah. Because robbing, you can, robbing, you know, like those things, like you could go back to the store and get it. Right. I felt literally like I had been shot all over again. Man. I felt like God hated me. Hmm. He had to. Yeah, to let it's you no experience way. that? To, yeah, it's like, it's no way in the world that that could happen to a human being yeah. and God could love them. I I thought that I, could, I begin to think about my life and I keep saying, you know, we all do things in our life that we're not necessarily like, happy about, right? Sure. So all I keep saying is, yeah, I did steal a couple of pieces of candy out of the store. <laughs> you know, and I, think, I started thinking of things like that. Right. Like, what did I do so bad? Yeah, that I deserve in this. my life to deserve something yeah. at, at this at this level. Yeah. Wow. And I just was like, okay, I did that. I had sex before marriage. I had a baby. Like, well, that's all I kept thinking about for so long and for yeah. so many years. Yeah, that's, I, I can definitely see why you would think that. I mean, uh, what else are you supposed to think? You're definitely not feeling the love of God at that time. That's mm -hmm. for sure. No, not even. <laughs> I'm just like, can you at least show up and tell me that it'll be okay? <laughs> you know, like, right. give me. I had no, I didn't even have anything to be hopeful for. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I can totally understand why you felt the way you felt. Um, man, that just, I couldn't imagine going through what you were going through at that time. Yeah, so um, when he was, um, decided to take a plea bargain, <laughs> And the judge sentenced him to five to 15 years. And my huh. district attorney, who is now still one of my very close friends, <laughs> um, she was more, I told her, I said, he's he's not gonna get in trouble. Like, he's just not getting in trouble. Like, I've been through this before. The cops, the judges, they all stick together. Yeah. Never, 
So never, he's not going. She said, no way in the world. He has to go to jail. 25 years. He killed his son. He killed, no, she was saying he killed his baby. He killed his baby. He shot you 10 times. You got six bullets in you. He has to go to jail at least the minimum of 25 years. The minimum, she said. I looked at her and I said, it's not going to happen. And I'm not coming to court. Man. And she said, I'm going to shunt you down like a dog. <laughs> and I said, well, you better come on and bring your leash. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. And so that, and so when the judge, he told me he was going to get five to 15 years. And that's exactly what he got. And all he did was reaffirm all your beliefs that nothing is going to happen to this guy. Nothing was going to happen. And that was my motivation. I said to myself, I got to do something. I got to do something with my life. <laughs> but, but again, in the memoir, my life after that, it went, it got even worse. Wow. It, I mean, it got so bad. Um, it did, it, it did, it really got bad. You would think that it would get better. But I, when I say I hit my bottom, I hit my bottom. Man, I, I can't imagine things worse, you know, I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, and then, so you're, you're recovering, you're on the road to recover, at least physically anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're doing the physical therapy stuff, um, and your physical therapist actually one day says something about, hey, you might walk again, right? Uh, and, and I was like, no, I can't walk. <laughs> yeah, how's that going to happen? <laughs> yeah, the doctor said I'm not walking again. Like, <laughs> and I would used to watch Prices Right. Okay, sure. So I'm just like, you're disturbing Bob Barker. <laughs> So, and, and he would just come, um, a young Asian physical therapist that had just started. Um, actually I was like his first client Wow! and he was just determined that he was going to get me to walk. And I just was like, nope, nope. <laughs> doctor said, no, yeah. you gotta listen to the doctor, you know, doctor, 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 doctor. Right. And then one day, I don't know. He just, he came later than usual. I, was, I, I used to watch like my TV shows in like order. So that particular day, he came in a day that I was on like a TV break. Okay. And he said, um, Katrina, would you like to do some work today? And then I just, I, I was, I remember I was sitting there in the chair and I just looked up to him and I said, yeah, we, we can do something today. And he laid me down. He helped me to get out of the wheelchair, laid me on the couch. And when he laid me on the couch, I laid down and I just looked up and something said, do it. Hmm. And he began to like touch my legs or whatever. And it was nothing. I didn't feel anything. It just was like, whatever. And I said, I told you, I told you, now put me back in the wheelchair. Cause now I'm getting, I'm mean and I'm nasty, you know, because you know, I'm bitter. I'm yeah, mean and, yeah. and you had pick every right up. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Pick me up and put me back in the chair because that became my safe place. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So he, he, he did it. And I was so angry and I cried and I, and I, and I cried and my whole day was just down because I said, I told him I didn't want to do this and he makes me do something and he embarrasses me. Hmm. So during that time, it was a break and I believe it probably was on a Friday because he would come Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. And I think it was like on a Friday because then like Saturday and Sunday, he didn't come Then Monday he came. And I said, and I said to him what I told you, like you, I told you and you just kept pushing me and I need you to leave me alone. 
and I don't want you to come back. And I just was saying some mean, 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 real mean things. And he stood quiet and he still said, I believe that you're going to walk. You're like, like, what don't you understand? Yeah, I'm like, why don't you just kind of like shut up? Wow. And so um, that day, of course, I didn't do anything. And I think the next time after that, he said again, we was just on pause. It, it, like it was a TV break again. <laughs> and, and, and we went through it again. Wow. <laughs> Same thing. It happened. And um, I just, at that point, I just was like, you know what? If I do this, he's going to eventually leave me alone. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing it. Then he'll leave me alone and he'll get out of here. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, because you're thinking eventually he's going to realize I'm not going to walk and right. he's going to give up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it all happened. Wow. That's how it happened. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate him and. Um, I never saw him again or heard from him again. And I was just hoping that if he would see the 48 hours or see any interviews or yeah. something and reach out to me so I could just say thank you. Yeah, you for, for pushing, right? <laughs> yeah, for pushing. Yeah. Because he could have just simply been like, okay, I'm getting paid today. I'll sit here for my hour right. yeah. and do nothing. Um, but he didn't. And that's why I believe that God sent people in your lives that's for right. a season and a purpose. Yeah. And he sent that guy because he could have sent any other therapist that wouldn't care enough. But he sent that guy that was hungry, that believed that it was something in me that I would be able to walk again. And he didn't give up. Yeah. That's so amazing. So he transferred that energy into Yeah. Me. He planted his own seeds in you. He yeah. planted it in me. And I, and, and I, I you know, it, it, it didn't happen overnight now. <laughs> right. But when you feel one little sensation, that's the hope. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. That's the hope. Yeah, that had to have been like a blessing at that point, right? Yeah. To think, especially once you, once you first feel that first sensation, mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, if I can feel this sensation, there's, there's more to come. I can get more, right? Right. Yeah. You can get more. You definitely can get more. And that's like anything in life, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes you get like 150 no's. <laughs> and it's so exhausting. Yeah. But then when 151 come and it's just that final yes. Yeah, it's all worth it. It's just all worth it. Yeah. Um, so coming on, you know, to, so just moving um, from that point on, and like I said, even after beginning to walk, life spiraled down because now I go into this homeless shelter, right? Yeah. And then that, that happens. And um, now my motherhood has been tested, right? Because now I no longer um, have a, shelter, a, room, a roof over my children's head. I cannot financially provide. I cannot yeah. feed my children, right? So that it's just... It, like I said, it just spirals down. Yeah. Um, and it it gets to the point where it's it's extremely dark. Mm. Extremely dark. I can walk, but that's all I got. Yeah. I can walk, but and I'm and I'm alive. But what am I alive? What 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 am I alive for? Right. What am I getting out of being alive? Because what's a person to be alive? But inside there's nothing. You're a shell. Right. So it's more to um, life than just existing. Trauma without being uh, healed can destroy you. Sure. Like medicine, medicine is not to cure you, right? Medicine is just to heal, to, to be something temporary, to make you feel better. Right. 
masks the pain. That's what it is. And that's what I had, I was doing for so many years. Hmm. So operating out of that and normalizing it. So only <laughs> just picture it. And if anybody that's listening can just picture norm, operating and normalizing, living like that, a body that's a shell that that's built on nothing, have no substance. Yeah. Could you imagine the decisions and the choices I begin to make after that? No, I can't. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's why I said it's just it's, it's bigger than me just being shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. After. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that that recovery. The recovery is worse yeah. than the actual physically. The physical shooting. To me. Um, wasn't better, but it was. Doable. Because the aftermath became unbearable. Mm -hmm. So the shooting wasn't as severe as the recovery. Right. Be even though I was shot a lot of times and got shot in some serious places in my body. And right. They, I, they had said that I was, was going to be a vegetable originally and that I would never live anyway. And Right? So now physically... You, you get shot those many times, and so you get surgeries, right, to, right. to help you. So that's the physical part. But the emotional part of it, the mental part of it, became the worst part of it, if, mm -hmm. it, if you make sense. Yeah. Right? Because the physical part, you go to the doctor, and now he, he's, he's sewing you up. Then you stuck with six bullets <laughs> mentally and you got six bullets in you. Yeah. So then you got to live with the fact that you got six bullets and that if it go a certain way in your life, you could die Yeah, because they didn't take them out because it would have killed me. Right. So you got to live like this for the rest of your life. Man, that's a lot to... <laughs> you, you understand where yeah, I'm coming I, from? I understand where you're coming from, but man, it is... I suppose to went so much. to someone's roof and jumped off. Yeah. I, that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to be a statistic. I was supposed to yeah. be in someone's mental institution. Sure. I was supposed to be on somebody's drugs to suppress the pain. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be an alcoholic right. to find some sort of strength. And everybody that knew you or heard about your story would say, that's fine. We understand why you would do that if that's if you would have went that course, you know? Exactly. Everybody said, yep, exactly. I, I totally understand I why it. she's done that. I get it. Yeah. Like I, and, yeah. and, I, and I honestly feel to this day, and God, please forgive me because I don't want to encourage nobody to do this. But I felt like if I went on a on a bridge and jumped off, people would be like, nah, I, I get it. Like yeah. with some other people, they'd be like, nah, why would you do something like that? Right. But people would say, with that, I get it. Yeah. I had lost every single thing possible. Right. Lost myself, lost my child. Yeah. And um, then you're slapped in the face from the court system and how they treated you. And I mean, it, to, unbelievable. To treat me. Yeah. That way, the court. And I said to myself, I wanted to ask this judge, if this was your daughter, would you have done that? Exactly. Excuse me. And you know there's no way things would have been so different, you know? Reached out to the DA when he when my story aired. Oh, really? And he watched it and he called her and said, is that the Katrina Cook that I had that case? And she said, yes. Wow. And it was nothing he can say. And I said to myself, I hope for the rest of his life, yeah. he has to deal with what he did to my life. Yeah. 
Wow, that's my son got no justice. Exactly. None at all. None. Man. Wow, that's amazing. I'm glad that he reached out. Um, and you know that that's that seeds there now. He's gonna think about that. Yeah. Man. So you you your life has gone just in the toilet. I mean, you, you're fighting hard. You got nothing. You, I mean, you are just in pieces. How did you come through all that and make that decision that you're going to change, make a, a positive change to the blue line, right? Um. It was God, honestly. Yeah. I don't take no credit for any of it. I believe in my heart that God knew that this story would go viral and it had to become a bittersweet story yeah. so that he can get the glory. Sure. And that's the honest to God's truth. <laughs> wow. That that it's the it's it it's anybody with any human sense would know that this is nothing of my doing. Right. There, there's no other explanation that makes sense, it's right? Nothing of my doing. Yeah. Nothing of my doing. Um, and to not only get into the police department, but to rise at the level that I had rose. Right. Um, and to retire as a first grade detective in a black female, which you didn't even see. Yeah. Amazing. Um, it was just. Um, it just was bittersweet. So, so let's talk about you deciding to and applying for New York City Police Department. What was that like for you, you know, going through background and all that kind of, you know, that, that hiring process that had to have been tough for you to, to handle that even? It was one of the most challenging things that I had to do in my life because mm. now I'm deciding to take an oath yeah. to work for an organization <laughs> that has violated me, <laughs> disrespected me, and dishonored oh, me. Yeah. So imagine that. Yeah. This is what I'm telling you. This is not <laughs> me. I'm, I'm, it's not, I'm operating... But it's not of my own doing. Yeah. Because who would do that? That's what I thought when I heard it. I'm like, what would make her want to go and become a cop now? How how does that make any sense? <laughs> but what I did say is that I would not never be a domestic violence officer. Okay. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because I knew when I got into this organization that I would not be able to help her. Or him. Yeah. I knew that. I knew I would not be able to do it. I can arrest him. Right. But I would not be able to make it go away. I wouldn't be able to sentence him. I knew that. Mm -hmm. Too close and to home. That, yeah. It would that right there, I think, would have been my tick tick boom point. Right. That would have broken. So that's why I would never be a domestic violence officer because I knew that that organization that I was working for, I wouldn't be able to help that yeah. person. So, so you join, you get sworn in what, in July of 2001, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys are known as the 9-11 class mm -hmm. because, man, a few months later, 9-11 happens. You're, are you still in the academy at that point? I'm still in the academy. Yeah. What I a... Am, like, what is happening in my life? Like, it's just, I could not catch a break. Yeah. Like, this is like. Look, I had to experience all that in my life. And now I'm at the point where I can, I'm seeing a light at the end of a tunnel to better myself <laughs> and to make positive changes. And then 9 11 happens. What the hell is going on? I, I just was like. How much more? Yeah. How much more can I take? Yeah. 
you know, and it was, it was, oh my God. You know, mm. everybody that was basically alive during 9-11 remembers, you know, where they were at. Like I was wow. in, I was in Dallas, Texas, um, at a training class, um, mm -hmm. when, when all that happened, you know, I mean, it, and it was devastating to watch all that, but I'm watching it from the outside as far as I, I'm, my thought is because I'm not a New Yorker, mm -hmm. you know, being, having that happen on my front doorsteps had to been even more tough, you know, for you. It, wow. it, I, yeah. It, and to, I never, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, like you, you hear gunshots, people get killed every day. <laughs> right. And I'm like, this is different. Yeah. This was different. Yeah. And now I'm thinking like, I'm finally on my way. And then it's <laughs> boom. Yeah. So, I mean. I don't know. I don't even know anybody that has had a life like this. I, I, honest I, to God. No, you. Honest to God. Yeah. I, I, and and I, I'm not even being funny. Um, I, I don't. I don't yeah. know anybody that's had a life like this. I don't know anybody that know anybody that 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 did. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know if you have ever known anybody that had a no. life like this. No, I mean you. It was um, like you're going from one tragedy to the next. It's just yeah. Like I've heard of somebody losing. Like Jennifer Hudson, I know she lost her whole family. Mm -hmm. um, that was, you know, yeah. extremely tragic to lose her mom, her sister, yeah. her nephew, and her immediate family. Right. Um, but I've experienced that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So I've, ex so I feel like everything in life, right, honestly, and I'm only 53, <laughs> that I have experienced everything that a person can experience. Oh, yeah. And and, and th that's not you bragging either. <laughs> By far. By far. Yeah. By far. Jeez. Like, not, and I'm saying it like, I don't, I, I, I for years, I, I was like, I don't know what I did this bad. Right. To, to have to have to endure this. I, I don't like I was I literally would think like about things that I did. And I'm like, it's people that I know have done so much worse. Like I've never did nothing like criminal. Right. And I'm just saying, like, I've done things like to myself, maybe. And I'm just like, why would I? Why do I get to get this type of life? Yeah. This well, is the life you see on only on TV. Yeah. What price am I paying for? Right? And that's it for me. Yeah, I bet. And and, and I say that to this day. Yeah. To this day. I do know that God loves me. I do know that he cares about me. Um, but I'm just now I'm at the point, I just want to see what was all this for. Yeah. And well that's where I'm at. I would just like to see what it's all for. It has to, it's no way. I, I'm telling you, all those experiences that you went through, um, but you have to look at your charities and how you're helping these young, at-risk youth girls and the wisdom that you can impart on them and, and how you can impact their life. That's, you're saving lives right there. And and that is that's God's work. That's you know that's 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 why you went through what you went through, because you're now helping those young ladies become, you know, positive people in the community, and and to to live a life, you know. And that's my prayer that everybody that to meet me or hear my story or even read about my story, that they could walk away with something. Yeah. And not everything. At least walk away with something that's going to make them a better human being. And just to know that there's something greater in this world than they are. Yeah. <laughs> so you get through 9-11. Mm -hmm. Are you a, like a patrol cop for how long? 
Well, a brief moment, briefly, I wasn't a patrol cop long. Yeah. Um, I become a detective pretty early on. Um, but I go through so much during that. It's, it's, it's so much. It's, it's <laughs> whoa. And is that in your book? That's in the book. Okay, too. good. Then that, I look forward to reading that, about that. That is in the book in the everything that I went through. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I had created in my mind um that I was just gonna change the police department. <laughs> I was really change it from the inside. I'm I'm doing it. I'm gonna do it. And yeah. when I got there, I was like, oh my <laughs> God. I went to not through 9-11 through an academy and now I'm physically a cop. And I'm like, again, I'm operating. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know why. And I'm saying to myself, what in the world? Yeah. How did I get here? <laughs> how do I get here? How do I get out? Where do I go? Come and save me. Yes. I bet. Yeah. But you know, so. you have a great career. Um, you you worked Vice for a while. Um, that had to been, you know, just a crazy experience too. Because I'm sure, you know, just dealing with the people, you know, you're experiencing your experiences of life were probably, you know, some similar issues come up, and and that that's you know, it's like. Even doing the job as an officer, your past keeps coming up, you know. Always. It's gonna it always comes up. Yeah. Um and but my thing was um I'm gonna do my job to the best of my ability. Right. And and that's all I, I could only do what I could do, right? Yeah, right. I could only do what I could do. And I and I felt like I had committed myself. I had given an oath. So I had to stick in it. Yeah. And stick with it. And the, the trials and tribulations that I had gone through throughout the years. Um it allowed me to understand loyalty hmm. as a as an organization, right? Hmm. Okay. Not not so much faithful, but yeah. loyal. Um, and being taught that we're family, and no matter what, you don't go against your brother or your sister. Hmm. No matter what, and even when it's wrong. And that's why I looked at that George Floyd incident, and I I understand how those other officers right how they got there yeah sure and i was like so sad for them yeah because i get i understand but you have to be in it to understand it. right and so how did now has that changed your view on like when you used to call for help and you got no help from the police does that kind of change no view because you still have to deal with people and in, with integrity in the right way. And when you yeah. see something wrong, you have to stand up. You have to do something. Do whatever. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it was, it was, I understood the loyalty. It was no faithfulness. Right. I, but it was the loyalty. Yeah. And that's what the difference is. But when it comes to being uniformed, right. Yeah. And people, that, that that's not within these organizations, they won't understand it. Exactly. But I understood how those George Floyd officers, mm. the, the ones that didn't do anything, right. I saw they get caught in it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that too. I understood how they got caught. And should they have went to jail? I'm not sure if they should have went to jail. Right. Right? I don't. I, I really don't have an opinion about it. But I understand. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I just understand it. I just understand things a little bit different now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just unfortunate that 
We're just not in a position that when we see our brother or sister doing something wrong, that we're not in a position to be able to stop them or say cut. Right. You know, there's no director yeah. to say that. Let's let's rewind and start over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, you had a you had a great career. You ended up becoming a detective first grade. That's the highest detective. Uh, that's a heck of an achievement on your part. One thing that I wanted to talk uh, about was the community affairs officer position that you worked in. Um, is that where you kind of got the idea of your charities by by working that kind of aspect as an officer? No. Um, when I first came on the job, um, that was just something that I I was doing it. Oh, okay. Before, not the mentor program, but the charity I started doing this early on in my career. Okay. But in order for me to be able to be more effective, I needed to go into community affairs. Mm. And so I wanted to do the, the mentor program, but again, to be effective and to be able to get the resources that I needed, yeah. I needed to do it that way. Yeah. So that's how that all happened. Yeah. But I've been doing cha the charities. <laughs> my actually my 20th year, I just fed over 200 families in the shelter um, for Thanksgiving, this wow. is something I've been doing for years um, with my charities. Um, Christmas time come, I come and I go to the supermarket and I go up to people when they're getting ready to pay for their groceries and I pay for their groceries for the holiday. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So then it gives them an opportunity to have some free groceries and then they can go out and get some more. Yeah, that, that's great that you can do that. Um, yeah, so you, you eventually make it to the detail of protecting the mayor. Yep. You know, when, when you get selected for that, you've got to be looking back at your life and all that you came through. It's got to be like, how did I end up here? I just is like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Nobody would believe it, you know? I mean, it, it's, no. yeah, you it's know, a fantasy. <laughs> first of all, black woman? Right. No. Um, but again, when God has a plan for you, there's nothing that nobody else can stop. That's it. right. And again, just not to my own understanding. Yeah. Um, it was an experience for me. Grateful. Um, to be able to be a part of that. It's history making. Um, yeah. To be able to be there and with him for the eight years. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, and being a part of him and a part of his family. Yeah. Um, fought, traveled all over the world with him, you know. It's amazing. Um, it was just like, wow. You know, this is, we talking about the mayor of New York City. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, it, do, it doesn't get no better than that, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, but the what really struck me is that you didn't share your story while you were a police officer. You didn't tell everybody that you met and ran across. That was that's that's your story, and you kept that personal. Um, you know, um, and I don't know if you did that partly because you didn't want any. Uh, I, I know the negative side. You didn't want people thinking uh, she can't handle this position. You know, she's got all this trauma in the background. I, I right. understand that as police officers, we eat our own so much. Mm -hmm. um, but was there also that you didn't want any favoritism to because you've gone on down such a tough road that you didn't want some. Oh, I don't think I would have got favoritism at all. Yeah. I would have been fired. Yeah, they definitely yeah. would not have allowed me to stay on the job. Wow, yeah. Because they wouldn't have felt like I was mentally stable yeah. to be able to perform. Yeah. So favoritism, I think I would have been looked down on, mm. not looked up on. Yeah. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to be fired and I right. didn't want a job. Um, and so that's where the bittersweet part came in yeah. because then I said, see, psych. <laughs> I got you, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was that that was the most exciting part for me to be able to say, boom, I got you. Yeah. And I but that was my payback to the police department for what they did to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And, you yeah. know, and it's great because 
um, mentally, you're fantastically strong. I mean, you, you know, especially for all the crap that you've been through and, you know, and then you become a police officer and there's enough crap just being a police officer, you know. Um, so you make it through all that. But I think that was, you know, me looking at your life, I would say that was the easy part of your life, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I I commend you for for our, your mental perseverance that you you just you you won't stop, you know, and and yeah. I think it's fantastic. I, I still got so much more to go. Yeah. So your nonprofit is Young Ladies of Our Future, correct? Yeah. Uh, and so you do that. You help all these at risk youth females, uh, yes. which is great. I was on your. Um, page last night, looking through it and looking at the programs and all the programs that you offer for those kids to go through is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Workshops. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, you're, you are, you're giving back. That's for sure. I mean, you're changing these girls' lives, impacting them for their futures. Um, it, it, you are a blessing to them. That's for sure. Um, Thank you. I, I also know that you've written a book, but it hasn't come out yet, right? No, I and, not. And the title is it, And Then Came the Blues? And Then Came the Blues. And Then Came the Blues. So do you have any update on when that book's going to get released? Hopefully we would be able to um, begin stop, start to start, start to shop it. Um, so if any publishing companies that's out there listening... Um, so they could reach out to me um, um, here. So that's where I'm in the process now is trying to actually start shopping it. All right. Well, good luck with that. So mm-hmm. tell us uh, if someone wants to donate to your charities, how do how do they do that? Where do we go? How do we help? Go to youngladiesofourfuture.com. Um, it, you can go down to the donation button, click on that, and then it gives you the option to donate. Um, and anybody that would like to uh, like reach out to me, they can go to my social media, which is Miss Dot Katrina four five six four five six is my old shield number. <laughs> um, and on Facebook, it's just Katrina Brownlee. And um, when people reach out to me. I, I reach out, I, I do respond. So, um, and I love it. I love the feedback. Um, and it just helps me and continue to motivate me and allow me to let me know that I'm on the right track. Well, you're definitely on the right track. Um, I, Thank you. yeah, what you're doing is fantastic. Um, I, I just, I'm in awe of you for what you've gone through in your life and how you become so strong and, and, you you know you are who you are, and it's it's great to to have met you. Um, yeah, I'm in awe of you. That's for sure. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for having me. And um, I just hope that whoever listens will be able to um, get something out of it. Well, we will definitely uh, on our when we start um, putting it out there for your podcast because this will be uh, coming up next week. Um, from this time that we're recording anyways, um, we'll put out your social media stuff so people can reach out to you. Definitely include your young ladies of our future.com so people can go and help there if we get the, if they can get the chance and they find it on their heart to help. Uh, we would appreciate that as, as you would too. Um, and I just want to reach out to our listeners. Uh, thank you again for coming uh, back today and listening to us. Um, I hope you really enjoyed Katrina Brownlee's story. She is an amazing woman, and she's definitely out there impacting her community um, with helping the young ladies. Um, if you, as our listeners, if you're struggling, going through some some dark times, tough times, whatever the case is, um, please reach out to us. Uh, you can call our um, hotline at 855-889-2348. Uh, If you hit extension one, stay on the line. It will roll to the first available stress coach, so you may have to let it ring a few times. Um, Or if you want to reach Susan directly, you can contact her on her cell phone at 334-324-3570. During the daytime, like she says, if the sun's up, text her. 
if the sun's down, then call her. Um, you can always reach her um, by cell phone. If you want to talk to me directly, um, you can either hit extension 3 on the 855 number or you can call my cell phone at 480-861-6574. Uh, families, we're here for you too. Um, you guys have a tough job of sending your loved ones off to fight the battle every day, uh, whether it's police, fire, military, you name it. Uh, we're here for you guys. Um, same, same number, same information. Just call us. Uh, we can't help you if you don't reach out to us. Um, our thing is that we do this anonymously. If you call our 855 number, we do not have your phone number. So if you get disconnected from us, you have to call us back. Uh, we want it to be anonymous for you so that you feel comfortable speaking with us. God bless you. God bless your family and this great nation. And come back next week and join us for Fight in Progress.